Hello, everybody, and welcome to Reconsinimation. It's your podcast where we look at our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm John Diner. I'm Dave Munchak. And we want to say a happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. It's our, it's our bonus show, our Valentine's bonus show. That's what we do every Valentine's Day. I'm assuming we're going to do that for the next 50 years. F- 50, that's as, that's as far as our contract goes. <laughs> yeah, so. we, we signed a 50-year deal. <laughs> well, it, it's actually ourselves. a 51-year deal. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So 50 more of these after this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we have to celebrate Valentine's with we, each other. Yeah. In the, in the booths. <laughs> in the booths. You and I. <laughs> you and I. I can't think of a better Valentine's Day. Yeah. But uh, so what are we what are we going to do well to make that theme? What better way than to celebrate our very first Valentine's Day than with one of the roman- most romantic movies of all time. Okay, yeah. The classic Harold and Maude. Yeah. The greatest love story ever told. The greatest love story. So never so before. I've heard. <laughs> I mean that's what you know, right? Actually, I didn't I've never seen this movie, so we're just going to talk about it. <laughs> Not it's having seen it. Only the poster. We're, <laughs> so we're, we're just talking about the trailer and the poster. Yeah. You extrapolate everything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, Harold and Maude is a an all-time classic uh, that is, I don't know, it feels like it's a little bit forgotten in today's modern era. Like a lot of these films from the 70s in particular. The 70s. Yeah. The movies were movies. <laughs> Yes, movies, seventies movies, movies for guys who like movies. <laughs> we're, we're just talking about that. <laughs> oh, I love movies from the seventies. <laughs> They're the best kind. You just like Marvel They're movies, films? And... No, seventies, grit, but real. This, one, this one's from like seventy-one. Seventy-one, yeah, the probably very beginning. M- probably made in seventy. Written uh, in the written in the sixties, from a guy who was born in probably the forties. If that. Uh, yeah. So. Well, but I did not see this movie in the 70s, mostly because I wasn't alive for From, most of the 70s. Sure. But uh, I didn't see it until two th- way deep, 2001. 2001? Yeah. So yeah. Pr- are we talking just leading up to 9-11? This is, I actually saw it just after. It was, oh, It was geez. December 2000, okay. 2001. Oh, I see. But it was a movie that I was always, uh, I don't know, there's something about the poster, or not the poster, but the like the VHS cover. Oh, yeah. Remember in the old days? The box art. The box art, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't always the poster. There was a period of time, well, I think when they first started doing, like transitioning from beta, Betamax to VHS, mm-hmm. that they were just using like stills from the movie. Like I remember, oh, a, lot yeah. of the, remember a lot of the James Bond movies. Like from Russia with Love mm-hmm. was just a shot of Sean Connery. Like, well, I don't know if you've seen that. James I haven't. Connery, but he's firing a flare gun, right? Yeah. And it's just a picture of him doing that, and oh. that's the cover. Of that's the, the cover. Yeah. It was like that's not the poster. There's plenty of posters and, and artwork, and uh, but Harold and Maude was one of those. I was just like a still of the two of them standing there, and something about the, I don't know if it was the color of it or. Just the energy I got was I was not attracted to that to ever seeing that movie. Sure. It, well, it has a a, a a very particular look of a mm. early seventies film, 
kind of a, in a drab color palette. Uh, and, it, you know, this thing could have been, it just didn't look appealing, right, to a young, yeah. young guy like yeah. yourself? Oh, yeah. Who loved, loved movies because you're a guy who loves movies. This, is, this didn't feel like that. This was at a time, you know, I'm walking up and down the aisles of Movies 1 or Camel Video, either video oh, store. You had a Camel Video? Camel Video, yeah. I think I had a Camel Video. Well, there was a... Uh, Is that a chain? The, no. Okay. Maybe they were like cousins. They could have been. Yeah. But I was like ours, going... Ours had uh, two humps. <laughs> okay, mine had three. So. <laughs> but, I, you know, we'd be going up and down the aisles and definitely, as we've said before, judging these books by their covers. So, sure. uh, was very fascinated with the horror section drama yeah. section. Not so much. Yeah. I can imagine you're the type you and your buddies, like you're walking down the horror section and there's a video, there's a, there's a cover. And let me think, I would think a creepy looking doll with like a weird smile on his face. And then where definitely with a giant knife like, bigger like, than mm. that. And then there's like a silhouette of a, a, a woman or maybe just a person in like a doorway and it's called like dull knifer six and you're like six is renting this now you pick it right up right is that yeah. and like this is it. this is the best i love horror movies like a poster like in the company of wolves which i don't know i don't know if you know that uh but no. it's it's I'll have to google it's that. a hand-drawn poster yeah right of a girl, Little Red Riding Hood, and she's got you. her mouth open, Uh-oh. and her head is being peeled back, and a wolf Uh-oh. is like coming from inside. Get out of here! I might yeah. have actually, I might know that. Actually. You probably—it's kind yeah. of a famous poster. Yeah, yeah, very frightening. Subverting the uh, the whole whole fairy tale there. Yeah. she's the wolf. Um, whoa! What? Mind blown. <laughs> but so you got poster art like that. Yeah, what are you going to And do? then you got two people standing there like Harold and Ma. A couple of schmoes. <laughs> Take that back now. <laughs> is that is that like an offensive term? Yeah. To, yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Uh, you know, so what one are you going to be drawn to, especially as a kid? The crazy one. So, yeah, the wolf uh, mouth. Fast forward however many years. Not gonna, I'm not going to say, but... Uh, two. So my girlfriend at the time mm-hmm. which sounds weird because it's she's she's your former girlfriend she's my former girlfriend yeah. current wife got it that's a whole weird way to say all that but mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh she was a big fan of the movie and uh showed it to me we were it was a very like delicate uh time in our relationship because she was about to spend a semester in England oh no and in London Shit. and and it was like, what's going to happen? Are we going to stay? You know, can we make it through this? Yeah. You know, if we do, that's great. That, you know, then it's just. Can love survive? To, yeah. Yeah. But uh, we watched this like very close to when she left. Oh, okay. So it was a lot of emotions tied up in, in this view, this first viewing of it. Oh, and then, yeah. And then I. Fell in love with the movie and and uh, yeah, no kidding. A lot of love, a lot of love. There, oh, so that explains a certain poster in your house, I think. And I do have, so, I do that I've seen. Going back to the posters, there is great 
the whole funny thing was was that while they picked a terrible picture for the VHS cover, mm-hmm. there actually is some great poster art for this movie. There's, yeah, yeah. there's a few different kinds. Yeah, a couple uh, variant yeah. ones I saw when I was looking at it. Uh, those hand-drawn, mm-hmm. uh, all hand-drawn. Look, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But uh, very distinct style. Yeah. So. Yeah, but uh, so that's my uh, my connection with the movie. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you my origin story. Let me take you back. Three days ago. Wait. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay there. Put yourself there. I yeah. Mean, I can get there. Imagine yeah. me, much younger looking, and much much quicker, lighter on my feet, uh, scrolling through the Amazon uh, Prime or the Amazon you know video rentals, and just clicking on rent, and then uh, giving that that bad boy a, a watch. And here we are. Happened. And I was just like, this is it. <laughs> this is the movie for me, for the podcast. <laughs> and that's the origin of my <laughs> my love affair with Harold and Maude. Well, what's your, you know, may I ask, mm-hmm. David, as I sit with you on Valentine's Day in this booth, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts? What, what's, your, what's your gut reaction? Um, uh, gut reaction, I was... I was I was wildly entertained, not wildly. I was entertained. It was there was a lot of whimsy. It's it was a lot lighter than I thought it might be. Um, our main protagonists and the supporting characters are very charming, um, so they were engaging to watch. And I did not. I had no expectations. I didn't know what to expect. So I was always just kind of not surprised, but always just sort of like, uh, and. Uh, I was just in, sort of enthralled about like where things were moving. Like I, things I didn't expect at all uh, became, you know, the, the defining characteristics of some of these characters. Mm-hmm. And it kept everything was very f- light. But then about about but it was light about serious things. Yeah. You know, so it's like f- tapping into emotions or feelings or philo- philo- philosophies, um, but presenting it in sort of a. Not a, it's it's not really realistic, but in a very I don't know it, playful, yeah. fluffy way. But it, it almost but feels like a dream a little bit. Yeah, there's a dreamlike quality to the movie mm-hmm. that um, I think sets it apart from your a lot of your other '70s movies. Yeah, um, the most of the most of the movies of the '70s. Have a heavy tone. Seventies, seventies movies, gritty, real, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. But dark too. Like, yeah. the, like bad things happen to the characters either throughout the movie or right at the end. Um, you know, the good guy doesn't always win. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, it's just, and that's part of what kind of sets Hal Ashby, who we'll talk about in a minute sets him apart from the the other directors of the 70s. He just had a different he had a whole different way of approaching his films than they did. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he embraced the outsider a lot more than than they did. Yeah. Okay. You know. With the with 70s movie, would you say that like Scorsese's The Departed is like a remake of a lot of 70s movies? You know? Um it has yeah, it has tones of that. I no, mean, no. obviously. <laughs> Uh, the way you were describing like seventies movie, I'm like, that's the departed. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't everything describe the departed? I mean, really? it's a perfect film, right? 
It's sexy. Oh, Departed. Departed. Yeah. It's sexy. It's gritty. It's real. Departed. There's, there's heroes. It's got Martin Sheen. Fallen oh, here. Departed. <laughs> Departed. Exactly. Got Alec Baldwin. Yep, Departed. Yep, the, yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this is a, a nice this is a nice feeling movie. Uh, yeah, agree. Like, agree. It's a nice feeling movie. So the originally was was written by uh, Colin Higgins. Higgins. As, <laughs> Higgins. Uh, as a college thesis, hmm. believe it or not, I, I don't. The whole the whole story started there. Wow. Uh, he was a working part time as a as a chauffeur. Chauffeur. Ugh, I can't say that word. Chauffeur. Chauffeur. It's chauffeur. <laughs> Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> yeah, that's where the word comes from. <laughs> uh, as a part time chauffeur and a pool boy for Mildred and Ed Lewis, who were uh, who were producers in in Hollywood at the time. Uh, Mildred read his script just as he was working on it. I guess well, it was checking the chlorine, <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Yeah, you got to pH your, balance. You work if you live in L.A. Yeah. You know you're a you're a, you're a young pools. writer. You yeah. have you know you're cleaning pools. Yeah, and not that you're doing that on the side. <laughs> so you got to put the script down. Yeah, you can't. Someone's gonna probably pick it it's up. Probably yeah. It's probably gonna f- end up in the hands of the homeowner. Uh, so she read it and immediately knew that that was way better than a, a college thesis yeah. paper, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband, Ed, uh, started taking it around. He ended up pitching it to uh, Bob Evans and Peter Bart, at, who were running Paramount at the time. Mm-hmm. This is 1969, 1970. Mm-hmm. And they greenlit it. And wow. it, I know that's a, that's a quicker version of how that all worked yeah. out, but... This is the 70s are a period of time where they are they're green lighting these different, you know, it's the new new wave, the yeah. Hollywood new wave that I keep blabbering on about. Yeah, uh, they it's a whole different change of mentality. They're they're making different movies. It's a whole it's a whole new game. OK, so a movie like this, this is the perfect time for it to come along and. Uh, really, the only time it would get made. I don't know if you'd see a movie like this uh, released by a major studio any other time period. Mm. Yeah, probably right. I mean, it kind of feels like a foreign film a little bit, or just sort of like an kind of just like a weird little indie movie. Right, that's what I mean. Like you might like, see it, like, but not a major studio, thing right? Like, okay, like okay. Paramount or Universal or what? Yeah, they're you know, not putting, Sony wouldn't put that out. They wouldn't produce that. They might buy it and distribute it. Yeah. But they won't. They're not backing films like this put, these days. Put, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds in it. Uh, I'm seeing that age, movie. A, age Harold. <laughs> put Ryan Reynolds <laughs> <Okay>. in it. <laughs> Harold's his young 40s. And then back Maud up a little bit so it's Sandra Bullock. And then you get, that's that's, that's what the modern Harold and Maud would be. Yeah, that's you know. the... <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, they they greenlight the movie. Colin Higgins, even as young as he was, was adamant to direct the movie. He re- really wanted it. They actually gave him a shot. They had him shoot some test footage. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out. Oh. Uh, so they ended up uh, turning to another kind of up and coming director, Hal Ashby, who actually um, kept Higgins around the project, kept him involved creatively. Okay. He didn't. A lot of times, you know, when a, a new director takes over a film from a writer, but the writer will kind of get, kind of get pushed out. 
Yeah. And that's kind of the end of their journey on the on the project, and then it becomes the directors. Uh, but here he kept him around and and oh. uh, active as a as a, I think he's a credited as a producer. But. That's great. Um, so Hal Ashby, have you seen any other Hal Ashby movies, David? Oh, uh, let me check. No. Stand by Wait. on the recomputer. What's his uh, other big movies? Uh, well, we're going to talk about those in a little more detail. But the speaking of the detail, the last detail. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the next film he made, Shampoo. I've been meaning to see Shampoo. It's on our list. Yeah. Uh, uh, coming Home. I haven't seen any of these. Okay. I've, and I'm looking at all the... Yeah, I'm seeing a list. Sorry, Ashby. This is my first... Well, it's my first Ashby. Yeah. Well, this is a good one. This good is place first, to start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You're kind of going to see him in order if, if, I have my, uh, if I have my way. <laughs> okay. But he made the landlord before this. Uh, he did. This was his second feature. Uh, landlord was not a wildly well-known movie. It's Bo Bridges. But Come on, it's a Bo Bridges classic. <laughs> and Louis Gossett Jr.'s in it. But anyway. Hal Ashby come it came from a very uh, dysfunctional family growing up. Who didn't? Uh, I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, divorced parents. His father committed suicide. He dropped out of high school and was kind of living that like bohemian lifestyle and floating around. And mm-hmm. if you've seen a picture of of Hal Ashby, he's always, he's got some wild long facial hair and just kind of looks a little crazy. Look but at him, uh, anti-establishment, very anti-establishment. <laughs> yes, perfect time, per- perfect time to come to Hollywood. Right in the sixties, seventies. So he, he moves to L.A. He starts working as, as an assistant editor. Uh, he rose through the ranks of the editorial department, uh, eventually becoming a, uh, an Oscar-nominated editor for The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and then he was nominated and won for In the Heat of the Night. Oh. Another fantastic. Well, yeah. All right. So he's, well, he's a big he, deal. He connects with Norman Jewison, who's one of my favorite directors, uh, but they – Form a friendship, and and Jewison is mentoring him basically of, you know how, how he could shift into directing as well. Yeah, and edit, editing is a, kind of a great path to directing because you're really like solely working on the creative. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to deal with any of the other stuff that producers deal with and some of the other departments, but. Uh, right. He's just completely embedded in creative with one of the with one of the best directors of the time. Yeah. So in 1970, he jumped over, made the landlord. Uh, I don't think that was financially that successful, but I think it was a good experience mm-hmm. for him as just getting his feet wet with directing. Hmm. And then came Harold and Maude. So he was already because of Norman Jewison, he's got you know inroads with with studios to get that you know next directing push he's got some heat yeah oh in the night he's got some <laughs> there yeah <laughs> we're good that was we i good. you really got me on that one <laughs> uh the film stars bud court we'll talk about him first bud court stars as harold bud court is harold chasen hmm. bud court is a quirky kind of eccentric actor uh-huh. uh, with kind of a particular look. Yes. I don't know if you'd... 
I don't know. I don't know if you'd... Uh, I don't know what other roles he could have really done at this time. He, he connected with Robert Altman, and he, Altman cast him in MASH. He's got a kind of a small... That's a, that's a big character piece mm-hmm. with a very large group of actors in it. Well, MASH, it's yeah. MASH, yeah. Yeah, huge ensemble. Have you, seen, you haven't seen that movie, right? Uh, most of, Some of it. Most some of, of it. the movie? Yeah. Okay. Now, it doesn't really have anything to do with the show. No, of course. I mean... I am... Not a fan of the show MASH. Okay. Well, you're dumb. <laughs> well, they're very different. They are. They're like one is. And it's one, not that the movie is. a silly sitcom. Yeah. It's, and it's not that the movie isn't funny. It is. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, it's just different. Oh, yeah. To- I mean, yeah, totally different. And it doesn't have canned laughter. Well, so does a lot of MASH episodes for some reason. Well, most be, of the, no, all of them do, don't they? Except well, like one or two. Uh, I think the, they, they. The last they, one doesn't. The finale does. Uh, there's other maudlin episodes where they don't. They yeah, it's they weird. turn it off. Yeah, the Al, whole can. When last Alan thing, when like, Alan Alda was directing a lot and getting into, I think they they turned out turned it off. <laughs> that was in his deal. Yeah, turn, <laughs> turn that switch off. Well, you know, you, you keep running. You, you're running long in the tooth of this sh- series. You want to tell more maybe intimate stories mm-hmm. um, it, throughout. And you turn, you just turn that laugh track off. Like it's so weird. Why did that ever work? Why did people accept that? The laugh track at all? Well, in a show like Mash, which is clearly not in front of a studio audience, I like I think it was still like we got to cue everyone in. That was a joke. Like we're, jo- yeah. we're joking around. It's and it worked. Of, yeah, there. Yeah, Be, the everyone could sit in a room of all ages and know what you just heard was a, a joke. Yeah. And that's and it's and you just laugh together. And you, you don't even have to know what was. Said. You hear someone else laughing, and you're just gonna laugh. It makes me feel good. I pl- I have a little button that just has people laughing, and I well, but, yeah. mo- most of the time I don't think they're laughing at me when I press. <laughs> so, but if I'm having a bad day and I hit it, sometimes I'm like, stop laughing at me. <laughs> it's either they're all laughing at you or they're all laughing with you. Yeah, no if ands or buts. It's a real coin toss sometimes. Uh, so Bud Court's in that. He's also in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Sure. Um, and he's kind of the perfect person, I think, for Harold. He really embodies that yeah. that character, it, just the essence of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the role of, uh, of Harold originally went to, say, the best for last, but Bob Balaban, wow. who you've probably seen from some of the Christopher Guest movies, and he's been in a ton of movies. Uh, John Savage, who was in The Deer Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, Godfather 3, many other films. But it also went to your friend, Richard Dreyfus. Oh. Oh, yeah. He would have been interesting. Mr. Dreyfus, who still waits in our lounge. Mm-hmm. We feed him. <laughs> yeah. But he's hanging out there. He, we're going to find the proper time to bring him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the uh, time's right. We'll open that door. We seem to mention him almost every episode. That's one of my uh, red phones. It's a dri- send in Dreyfus. <laughs> Give me Dreyfus. <laughs> uh, but, so but, yeah, that would have been. I think this movie would have not worked at all. Were they? Is the studio after these guys? They offered it and then it was turned down. Or? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they're all kind of they're all young up and they're they're all, at this point they're all in the same category young up and coming yeah you know hungry actors, actors. Dreyfus you you know has a famous little cameo in The Graduate mm-hmm. before he was anybody but uh, he's got like one line in there and no. gets his face right in the camera um, 
but yeah, so uh, Tom Skerritt, who worked with Bud Corden on MASH and is a, another Robert Altman guy, uh, was friends with Hal Ashby and suggested uh, suggested Bud Court for the role, and, and it was a match made in heaven. Oh, wow. And Skerritt, who shows up in the film. Sk- no. No? That's M. Borman what? who shows up in the film. That's not Tom Skerritt? Not Tom Skerritt. What? It is Tom Skerritt. Oh. We'll get to him, though. I didn't re- recognize him at first. Oh really? You didn't you didn't recognize that stash? Not it just it just there was something about him, and then I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, is that? And then I had to I confirmed it at the end. I find that funnier. Like the more I watch it, I just laugh more at that <laughs> that whole thing that he's in it, and just the way like the first shot where he gets off the motorcycle, yeah, and just the way he like kind of struts over to like this egotistical cop, uh-huh. motorcycle cop. Um, Scarrett, funny. Scarrett, yeah. I didn't know Scarrett was funny. He can be, yeah. If he wants to, he can be whatever he wants. He doesn't do a lot. Of, I mean, he He's really not, didn't do a lot of funny business. I'd love to see Scarrett doing zany, zany comedy. He well, he did stand up. Is he a stand up? Yeah. See, I don't know much about Scarrett. No, nah, I'm kidding. But. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> like he did, he did, he did five years of stand up and then just, <laughs> just just started doing straight drama roles as an actor. Uh, just you can find him at Simsy's Comedy Club down in <laughs> in Burbank. Uh, okay, Ruth Gordon, who was uh, who plays Maud, the titular Maud. Yes, exactly that. Um, she, she, yeah, she had been around a very long time at this point and was uh, going through a career resurgence. Oh, she yeah? started in the business in 1915. She started acting. Started acting. Acting. Yeah. She was a big theater actress. She acted in silent films all the way through through the 30s and then uh, shifted gears into screenwriting. She married a, a guy by the name of Garson Kanan, and they started writing scripts together. Mm-hmm. I did not realize this, but she was uh, uh, nominated for... Um, sorry, was nominated for two Academy Awards... Won one for screenwriting. Holy cow. No, no idea. Wow. Uh, they were for Adam's Rib was what she won for, uh-huh. which is like a classic, classic film. Yeah. No idea that Maude wrote that movie. Huh. Uh, and and a movie called Pat and Mike. They were uh, they were good f- friends with uh, Catherine Hepburn and, and Spencer Tracy. So they were, I'm sure, going on lots of couples dates on <laughs> Valentine's Day. Sure, absolutely. You know, That's what you do. Double dating. Double dating. Yeah. <laughs> So living a living in doing the Hollywood thing after yeah. a successful career in theater, yeah, just living it up. So it's a whole life, it's like second career that was happening. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, uh, she ended up getting back into acting and less in screenwriting in the I believe somewhere in the fifties. Okay, so she gets back into theater, starts doing a little bit of uh, television work and small parts in films. Mm-hmm. But really hits the big time again, 1968 with Rosemary's Baby, ah. which uh, she was nominated for a Golden Globe. Did she win that Golden she Globe? She did win that Golden oh Globe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Good Amazing. She's lovely. Uh, and it's a terrifying role. Have you seen Rosemary's Baby? Yeah, of course. Don't you lie to me. I have. <laughs> I'm, just don't quiz me about it. It's a very creepy role uh, and and a very big movie, so... She kind of has, uh, again, like this really interesting career path from young actress to 
screen successful screenwriter back to acting and then late in life has this probably the biggest part of her career happen sort of right at the end wow how about that uh so harold and maude is kind of a follow-up um you know after after rosemary's baby huh uh well i mean she's so obviously she is uh she's versatile right do something Quite like versatile Ros- yeah you're gonna do something like rosemary's baby yeah and then you're gonna play maude i to- mean how <laughs> charming and fun and wonderful is maude Maude is she's just amazing. she's just like the coolest. She's really she's the coolest lady. I would I would love to know Maude. Get to know Maude. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the TV. Oh no, wait, there was a show Maude already, wasn't there? Well, yeah, with, with uh, B. Arthur. With B. Arthur. Yeah. Maude. Imagine if that was the same Maude. If you went from Ruth Gordon to what B. A, Arthur, do you th- <laughs> could be <laughs> could be maybe that's what was going on in the show the whole could, time. Could well could Maude have been a, a true. Like did the mod the TV show actually take place in the modiverse? Like, oh, like the movie they're both connected for real. So, you, but like maybe it's a multiverse modiverse. So it's like Spider Verse. Yeah, modiverse. Yeah, yeah. I into, get it. into the modiverse. Yeah, into. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to watch that movie. Into the modiverse. Yeah, all the different mods. And then you get an occasional Harold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or two. Harold pops in. Oh, that's funny. Played by Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> of course. <laughs> as as uh, as you do. Uh, some of the other actors in the movie, Vivian Pickles, who was a big, big-time British theater actress. Lots of, you know, I don't know any of the other movies that she did, mm-hmm. or I haven't seen them, mm-hmm. but big-time theater person. Okay. Big so, deal. Big deal. She yeah. played uh, Harold's mother. Harold's mother, yeah. She was great. In this she, she's she not a, the best. She's unbelievable. <laughs> I really enjoyed her performance. On repeat viewings, yeah, her performance gets more interesting. Uh-huh. You when you look at you see more and more of the like very little subtle things she does, mm-hmm. uh, like when she's going to the pool and she just like adjusts her you know swimming cap mm-hmm. and was it Tchaikovsky's piano concerto number one is playing. Oh, very good. And I'm I'm fancy. Uh, <laughs> I am fancy. And just this little like little head tilt and just you know she, you just know she's just engaging with that music before mm-hmm. diving in the pool. Mm-hmm. In full view of of what's waiting for her in the pool. Yeah. Just she, just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Just she, brilliant. And her timing was great and yeah. uh just a really really wonderful actress. Uh we've got our good friend as we mentioned Tom Skerritt with a very Brief role in the movie. Hey, man, that stash. <laughs> that's a power mustache. Oh, yeah. Scared stash? I mean, if you... Yeah, let's talk... Let's sidetrack for a minute about let's mustaches. Talk about, let's, okay. When you think of, like, power Hollywood mustaches, can you name, like, a, like two or three off the top of your head? Yeah, Burt Reynolds. Uh-huh. Your time Skirret. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Hal Holbrook, is that right? Hal Holbrook at one point had a mustache, <laughs> a strong mustache. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, someone from a bunch of Clint Eastwood movies. No, is that right? No, I'm sure there is. I don't know. But you're, you know, you're forgetting uh, who my who's the who's the number one? Or who's there's the two. One? There's two you didn't mention. Gimme Magnum. Oh yes, of course. Tom Selleck. Yeah, Selleck. Yeah. 
I mean, you got Quigley you know, so down under. You got three men and a baby, three men and a little lady. Yeah, yeah Mr. He, Baseball. I think it is. A th- I think Selleck does outweigh Mr. Reynolds. I don't know. I don't Not know. in a fist fight, certainly. <laughs> but I think Reynolds. She, 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 he got rid of his stash. They all did some things without the without the. Well, stash. no, but I think like there be there was a long period of time. Where, Reynolds, Reynolds never looked right without it, though. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's something wrong with his face. Yeah. Uh, and Sam Elliott. Uh, Let's not right. forget. Yeah. Of course, Sam That's Elliott. It was a beautiful mustache. But all of them did do movies without it. I mean, that's not a crutch. It's just a signature. Right. <laughs> Scarrett's the same way, though. That's a nice, not as thick of a mustache, but but strong, especially in, in, his, you know, in the 70s era. Yeah. If he had a different face, it wouldn't work. It's it's the combination of that. you'd say that about anybody. <laughs> if he didn't have a face, <laughs> he wouldn't be wouldn't. doing movies. <laughs> Let's be honest. But yeah, it's the combinations. Oh, like any lot of a lot of men can grow mustaches. Really, I think it's point zero one percent might pull it off on a good day. Yeah. Then there's an even tinier percentage that could pull it off every day. Yeah. For the rest of their life. And these are these men we're talking about. Yeah, so you're 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 paring that down to about about ten people in the in the world <laughs> who could have this great of a mustache. No, I mean, no, no I mean, you're right. I'm not I'm not arguing. I don't know if my math checks to that, but I would say I would say there's probably like maybe ten thousand perfect mustache mustachioed men in the entire planet. That's yeah, it. Let's get them all in a room. Ten thousand. Let's it's, get them. And they're, study them. They're a village. It's just it's just a small village in a, a rural area. Well, and if you're gonna have a mustache, you gotta play a cop yeah. a, and a motorcycle of cop course, at that. Yeah. So it's they go hand in hand. <laughs> uh, but it's funny because Scarrett was was friends with Ashby, and the actor who was originally cast as the motorcycle cop got injured. Oh. So Ashby talked Scarrett into into playing the role, which is more than a cameo. You know, it's not like yeah. like one shot, like you know Tom Cruise and Young Guns, right? Per se. Uh, so this is definitely like a day or two's worth of filming, mm-hmm. many different shots. Uh, but he, they joked around about he's credited as M. Borman, and it's just an inside joke between him and Hal Ashby. That they joked around that if it's not going to sound that funny now, but I'm sure it was in the moment. If uh, Martin Borman, who was a famous Nazi uh. commander, was had survived, yeah, and had gone into hiding, that wouldn't it be funny if he was a motorcycle cop in the Bay Area? <laughs> <What> the <hell>? Just, <laughs> so that's like this whole little subplot that they had going on. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Inside joke between those guys. Uh, some of the other actors, Cyril Cusack uh, is in the film. Mm-hmm. I like Eric Christmas, who's the priest. Oh, yeah. He just, I don't know why he's another one of those things. The more I see this movie, the more he just cracks me up. Mm-hmm. A lot of little facial mannerisms and, uh, you know, right where when he's talking like directly at the camera about their physical uh, intercourse. Yeah. And how disgusted he is by it. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's really good. But, and I felt like, is he so disgusted that he's secretly kind of into it? Yeah, I, that was my question. Is he sort of fetishizing? Yeah. Like he's just like something he can't, he really likes to talk about yeah. this. 
but and I don't know. I don't know if that's like an actor choice that he made that maybe there's a little fetish thing going on, yeah. or just the with what's happened between then and now. Yeah. Us as a viewer kind of right. looks at it that way. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's some there's there there's a layer in there. Yeah. But we don't get to know. Yeah. So that's the fun part. Uh, Ellen Gear, who's one of the uh, women that. That gets set up on dates uh, by oh. Harold's mom. Oh, those poor women, those ladies, <laughs> just tortured. Just, just coming to find find a nice date, find yeah. a nice man to date, <laughs> going through some stuff. And oh. uh, Charles Tyner, who is the is the uncle. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> another great. He's role. unbelievable. These are great he's characters. So funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's yeah, fantastic role, and. Uh, all, all great characters for the film, great actors playing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big element to the movie that we kind of touched on briefly was uh, John Alonzo's cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Alonzo would go on to after this to shoot some of the some big movies, including Chinatown. Okay, so he is, uh, I think, a fantastic cinematographer. But it's interesting the whole visual style for this movie. Because we we mentioned that it it kind of feels like a dream it has a dreamlike quality to it, mm-hmm. but it looks it almost it feels like it's England, like yeah. the country the Eng- English countryside. Yeah, the, there's 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 some green there's lots of green and the hills and and I couldn't tell but I'm like wait I, I knew it was Cal it had to be California I could tell it's certain it, well the tree I think there's palm trees that give it away or something like that too yeah well I mean but just just something about it but I was like is this a British movie like what is this yeah I didn't know at first it took me a minute yeah it like honestly I, I because just simply because you meet uh, Miss Pickles in mm-hmm. the beginning and she's affects her yeah uh, she's got her, kind her, of a British accent yeah and I, I was and you know just stylistically just uh, the aesthetic of the film. Uh, production design it really does feel kind of like it does, yeah. stuffy a little bit of a stuffy mm-hmm. wet kind of yeah, dreary it's, yeah it's like wet foggy gloomy yeah um it it does it definitely feels like it's uh it could have been a prequel to an american werewolf in london right it, let's just let's just let's say just, it is let's just say it is there but did they shoot it in california yeah no okay. it was it was shot in the bay area bay area so, see yep. I'm getting to know this You're state. Thinking. I'm getting to know this state real good. <laughs> the Bay Area, which as everyone knows, is about 30 minutes away from downtown LA. Yeah, Thir- about 30 it, minutes. You could take like a a bus. You could bike it. You could bike if it if you had some extra time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But short trip. You're there in no time. <laughs> You are learning real fast. Oh yeah, up! I love it down there. <laughs> down there in the bay. Yeah, down there in the bay. I was in the swimming in the bay. You go downtown a little further. Bay area. Stop in the bay. <laughs> they call it Redondo Bay. Um, <laughs> uh, the soundtrack. Let's talk about the soundtrack for a minute. Okay, Huey Lewis not on this thing. No. Did, well, did... an unreleased track. Yeah. <laughs> Huey Lewis sands the news. Yeah. Just Huey. <laughs> no, Cat Stevens uh, is, I think, just perfect in a spiritual sense for this movie. Yeah. He's a very, you know, hippie-ish kind of performer at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the mentality of his music matches this film perfectly. 
yeah tonally it's it's in sync mm-hmm. that he he uh, offers his sort of uh airy poppy quirk yeah fun to it the entire because it's all his music right There's it's all his else. music and that was they wanted you know one sound yeah for this film mm-hmm. and originally they went after elton john mm. which i don't know you mm-hmm. know i don't really have i'm not a big elton john fan but elton john of 1971 Ooh, yeah might have been fine as well i bet you cat stevens i think is perfect yeah he was already he's the guy yeah he's the man yeah there's no question uh, but he had put out, I think, three albums at this point. Okay. Um, I believe you. Yeah. Cat Stevens. Cat Stevens. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but he does all he does all the music, much like Prince and the Bat and for Batman. <laughs> it's very similar. So yeah. he 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 kicked it off. He inspired Prince and Warner <laughs> Brothers. Uh, now known as Yusuf Islam, oh, yes. by the way, which I'm sure everybody knows. Um, yeah, he had put out Matthew and Son. Mo- I don't even know how to pronounce this one. Mona Bone Jacon and Tea for the Tillerman. So some of these songs are actually from those albums. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's got s- some of his songs like Wild World are are more poppy, mm-hmm. you know, than others. Mm-hmm. Like some of their more like top forty kind of songs. Yeah, but some are just way more of of a head trip kind of a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great mix of all of those kind of tones. Yeah, is it like folk? Yeah, is he kind of folk. I'm not much of a music guy. It it really depends on the song. Like yeah. some of his songs are more folky and some are more poppy and yeah. And uh, but he's just freaking amazing. He's great. And the soundtrack uh, originally came out in 1972 with some of the tracks missing. It didn't get re-released officially until 2007. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yeah. 35 years later. Yeah, a long time. And that was when I that was when I got it was 2007. You bought that soundtrack. I didn't, yeah, yeah. Did you buy it on iTunes? No, that wasn't time. Uh, I think that, that was or just so close. ITunes. Just so close I don't remember where I got it. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, but the music is really used at its at its best in the film during these short montages. Mm-hmm. They just um, and the music kind of drives drives the narrative a little bit in those in those particular scenes, yeah. especially the ending yeah. uh, that last. I mean, it, it felt like Hal Ashby was kind of going being an editor was just like that's really his forte. Mm-hmm. And between the music and and visually what he's doing with like w- where it drives you emotionally mm-hmm. uh is just probably my favorite piece of the film. Uh and obviously the emotional, you know, height of the film as well. Hmm. Uh they shot the movie in the Bay Area as we said from God, it was the end of 19... It was, I think, December 70 through, like, the spring of 71. Oh, okay. Um, one of the interesting uh, little little tidbits of trivia about the movie is... Ooh, I like the, trivia. The scene where, where Harold has the big confession to Maude about, like, his suicides and, and you know, what he's been doing and, and why why he's been doing it. Yeah. They obviously it's a big for any actor to carry a scene like that. It takes like 
every bit of them emotionally to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So he does the whole scene, and they stop, and Hal Ashby just looks at him and goes, um, "You know, can we have a can we have a talk for a minute?" So they go off walking off set, and he said, I "Just want you to know that was amazing." Uh, we the film rolled out halfway through that take, <laughs> so we missed it. But you're gonna do it again, and it's gonna be even better. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh my god! <laughs> so what you see in the film is you know where he's bawling. That's yeah. actually the second take. Okay, it's great. It's a it's a really really wonderful scene. Yeah, yeah. He did he did incredible. The way you see him throughout, like you know, he's just sort of got a he's just sort of have a blank stare and he's very calm and then he you see that energy come out when he's with mod and everything and then to like really dive deep into his like dark place but to be just so like torn about it you know just torn apart about it like yeah having these feelings and and telling her all that and just ah oh, it's a really good scene i was big yeah yeah, yeah. i was very impressed but what i mean what kind of film... How would you categorize this film? It's so many different things. Action comedy. Well, yeah. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> it's definitely... In, that goes without saying. Action comedy. It's next... Japanese animation. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's either in the anime section or it's next to uh, Harold and Kumar. Well, yeah. <laughs> Again, White a, Castle. a spinoff. Yeah, yeah. The Harold you see Kumar in the background... Uh-huh. At one of the funerals. <laughs> in the Modiverse. The Modiverse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot going on here. So, you, you know, it's, it doesn't fit anything too perfectly. It's not really... Yeah, a, I mean, it's... It's like a love... It's a love story. Yeah. You, it's a coming-of-age tale. Mm-hmm. It's a... What do you got? I uh, mean, it's a, it's romance. It's a tragedy. It's... I mean, there's a small piece of it that's kind of a little satirical. Yeah. Um, mostly, yeah, coming of age story. It really followed up nicely what was set up in The Graduate. It's a really mm. good companion piece with that. Oh, yeah. And even Easy Rider, which is more of an extreme film. Mm-hmm. But just as far as, you know, the idea of the out, of an outsider, mm-hmm. um, that those movies are really kind of helped give birth to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the whole the whole song. If you if you want to if you want to be free, be free. Yeah, like everything in that song is is really symbolizes the movie. Yeah, if you want to sing out, sing out. Yeah, all that just and it, it's what like basically her philosophies. Yeah, that she embodies it. all of that. Yeah, and she's just teaching him basically. Yeah, yeah. well, that's like she's she's one of those. Uh, like manic pixie dream girls yes so like that's she yes. is, you're not the first person to say that oh no yeah no definitely not but like it just reminds me of like it's we you know we start following harold and it's mostly harold's film and his arc that we're concerned with you know yeah because she is just sort of she is completely defined by everything she presents she doesn't really have much of an arc we learn we do learn about her but she's there a lot, you know, she exists kind of to change him. Yeah. Like, that's really her only function. That's her function, and that's her, like, sort of last, final goal. Yeah. Like, she, because obviously she and Harold are attending different funerals, or attending funerals for different reasons. 
and she so she notices him and the, obviously that's going to strike anybody like she's she wants to get to know this guy like and uh but yeah she's there she saves like the male central character of yeah. the movie which we see and we've seen in a lot of films and and movies and literature and everything um so i hate picturing it like that because it's she's so engaging and and wonderful and a great actress and all of that but yeah i mean there's not a lot to mod other than like sort of how she is a she's kind of a reaction to harold in a sense mm-hmm. like you know um she li- she lives her she's living her life she's a free spirit yeah. And, yeah but she has every every line is so perfect like her philosophy drips out of everything she says yeah. it's it's very colorful and and perf- just perfectly succinct um and it's nice it's like every every time she says something it like it could dig into an emotional like little well or hook inside of you that you didn't know like yeah. oh yeah that's just perfect yeah. like it's like you are just the perfect person for me and uh yeah making that manic pixie dream girl thing yeah um you know uh, it's just funny to think of it that way but she you know she's eight she's gonna be 80 uh and uh you know usually it's just a quirky girl with a interesting haircut and just a a carefree lifestyle and an effervescence yeah she has that effervescence but uh you know is she natalie portman in garden state kind of yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, is she Penny Lane? Just such a an almost famous. But I think she's she's just a better version of so much, such a better oh, version yeah. than those characters. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway. but yeah, I see what you, yeah I know I know what you mean. But anyway, but like the what he needs to learn primarily comes from her. But boy, what a lot of great lessons to learn that are so starkly different than the life he's living that mm-hmm. he only sees. It's sort of a darkness or an inevitability to his life. You know, is yeah. he just going to, will he actually end his own life or will he just eventually just pick a girl that he can marry and just live sort of a, yeah. And give in to his mother's plan for him. Yeah. So, well, I mean, right from the opening scene, which is fantastic because it takes you in kind of a few different emotional directions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see, we hear Cat Stevens' music, and we're watching the feet come in, and we're watching his hands and seeing what he's doing. He's setting up this, you know, he's lighting a candle, he's moving a chair, yeah. and then he hangs himself. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, like, not knowing anything about the film, I was, ooh, yeah, it was a jarring experience. And then you stay with it, yeah, as the mother comes in, yeah, has no real reaction to this, <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of talks at him and walks out. Yeah. And then you see that he's not, you know, he, he's staged this. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, and again, I love the way it's lit. Like, like the house is, the, 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 their mansion or whatever is big, you know, giant, old-feeling mansion, very darkly lit. Yeah. Everything is, these like, you know, black or brown, you know, colors. And, yeah. And he is just pale as a ghost yeah he's just like he he feels so empty like he just has nothing yeah because everything is about his what his mother wants and and her social life and Mm -hmm. and her needs and she's just not even you never get that scene in this movie of like where she realizes what you know what she's done wrong like that 
that is not a part of this movie. No, that's not that's not uh, important. And are are his suicides? Do you think they're more of like? First of all, we never really know Harold's age. I don't think. Uh, I want to say. I mean, in the descriptions, they say he's nineteen or twenty. I've seen. I've seen I, all. I've seen sixteen. I've seen twenty. I've seen twenty-one. I feel like she might have when she tells him that it's. It's about time, you know. You you've li- you've lived a. I feel like she might have said it that he's twenty. Maybe not. I don't, I don't, don't. think she said the ex- like. A, I don't think it's ever mentioned what is, and it feels like they would have kept it vague. Yeah, but twenty is Doesn't pretty matter, accurate. No. He's not a. He's not a teen. Though. No, he's just outside his teens. He's no. Yeah, he hasn't gotten. He hasn't gotten over that teen despair. Right. You know that the despair. I mean, not that that's you know what every teen goes through, and also something that can be easily get, gotten gotten over. But you know, obviously, there's a lot going on for his mental health. I mean, he descri- in his confession of how, you know, when his mother thought he died, then he decided that he wanted to be dead. But like, it's kind of but what because she had that emotional reaction. I'm assuming like. That's the maybe is that is that is that why he or is it well but that, that her reaction was like fake well that the idea oh so that the way he describes it is more of a, a drum she was just being more theatrical yeah yeah and uh, that's the way I took it okay I could believe that yeah. I felt like maybe it was the only genuine reaction well and then, but I don't know because we're only hearing it from his point right of view. and what what do you think the reason is he's doing those suicides is he trying to like mess with her or is he trying to get her attention is he trying to communicate with her i think it's a, yeah it's all that i think i don't know what he would the thing is if he actually offed himself and she figured it out he'll never be able to know her reaction so he want i think he wants to trigger that reaction again yeah i think whatever however she reacted when she heard the news he died i think i think probably it was genuine but obviously it's going to be Maybe you know, as he's describing it, maybe it is a little theatrical. You know, theatrical. So maybe he's answering in a thea- you know a theatrical way. Yeah. But this is a woman he doesn't know how to communicate with, and he doesn't know how to talk to his mom. He doesn't know how to express his feelings. His feelings are ignored anyway. You know, she. You know, they they obviously come from means, so they don't want you know they don't want for anything. You know, right. it's not like Harold needs a job. Right, you know, he right, can just right. live a life that she buys him a jaguar. Yeah, <laughs> jaguar, a jaguar. Um, so it's uh, whatever the banality of his life was, you know, it just was not. This isn't good. But man, the way he stages some of these suicides are brilliant. I didn't. Yeah, even, I I don't know how it worked with the uh, the self emulation. <laughs> How he would have got, but that was a David Copperfield trick. Yeah. It was awesome. There, there's some just straight comedy in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. I think part of it is like to get a reaction, but also like it placed a part of his his sense of humor in a sense. There's something to it that he finds something funny about it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and then he's you know he's looking for what what do you think he's looking for by going to the funerals? Because that's where he meets Maud. They both go to yeah. funerals for fun yeah or something i think she's i i get the I, did she explicitly say why she does it the, no i don't think so but i feel like it's like for the celebration of life in a sense yeah like, that life has passed but also life goes on all that seeing that energy that energy that emotion that makes sense from her point of view yeah for him maybe it's just you know seeing that like reaction from people yeah 
I think he I think he's slightly envious of the person in the casket because all of the attention is on that person. And uh I think I think every I think I think it must be just a re trying to recreate the story told about his mother. Like yeah. there's that's the driving force. Obviously, it's like a depression and whatever is also keeping him in that mind state that you know that maybe it's the answer. But he never he never does an actual suicide attempt at all. Like he never does it. He skirts. Right, they're all fake. They're yeah. all fake. But he, and he skirts close to it. But it's not like he's so he just sort of has a death fantasy. He's not even. He, he he thinks that maybe death is the answer, right? But he's just he just doesn't know there's other answers out there, right? But it's not like it doesn't seem like he actually wants to end his life. He's just he's just sort of he's just really depressed. He's suffering through a depression and and uh, a sadness, and uh, you know that ending that in a certain way would elicit a lot of emotional response. He's not getting, yeah. So he can't get that emotional response as the person he is. But if he if he ends his life, yeah, maybe his mom would care. Uh, but he doesn't actually want to die. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and Ma- and so Maud comes into his life at like kind of a perfect time for him to hear that. Yeah, they find each other yeah. exactly at the time they needed to, which is you know that happens like every day. People who who would never otherwise connect find ways to connect. You know, you never know when you might you might meet that one person that affects you in a certain way uh, for the forever. And isn't that what Valentine's Day is really all Ugh. about? <laughs> it is a uh, it's a bit of a, a hallmark uh, holiday, <laughs> a little bit sponsored holiday these days. But, but I do get upset when I don't get three dozen roses on the day. Yeah, I've instructed the assistants to make sure that they each send you. Yeah, I want I want my flowers, <laughs> interns. <laughs> that office better be decorated. Fill it up with, and then also, um, you know, cardboard cutouts of like cupids and hearts. Yeah, and, uh, and the candies. The yeah, I love my candies the, uh, in the heart shaped box. Yeah, with the messages on it. The oh, you mean the the what are they called? The hearts. The heart. Yeah, the candy hearts. The candy hearts. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I love those. Um, I, but I get them custom made, and they're mostly perverted phrases. We try to keep those uh, <laughs> away from the press. Yeah, because you'll be in big trouble. Yeah, no, I don't. You know, no, it's some pretty sick shit. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, back to Harold. Uh, but yeah, lo- you know, people people connecting, love in a certain form. If they never, they have a tryst. They have one physical mm-hmm. tryst. That if that never happened. The movie would still be as per- just as perfect. Like, it still communicates everything. Yeah, I think it's maybe a, a moment they both need or whatever. But it's so, but it's so interesting because it's so Harold is so childlike that post-coital he's blowing bubbles instead yeah. of like smoking a cigarette. Exactly. I mean, it's just so. That's such a great cut too. Like cut <laughs> yeah. to his face, just like that. Yeah. Um, you know that first experience that that he really needed. I think he needed that yeah. that physical um, experience of just you, yeah. you know that that's gonna like most young men and women mm-hmm. that will change you. You yeah. know, it's you're, you're taking another step in your life. Yeah, it's just that it's another milestone. Yeah, and it's a very unique experience, and hopefully a very you know. It should be a great, awesome experience. Yeah, it's not always, unfortunately. No, but, 
But uh, she's she's an ex- an older lady. She's an experienced lady. Mm-hmm. She can make that work. Yeah. Well, yeah. she's guiding him through everything else emotionally in this brief period of time. Yeah. That it makes sense that they would go through that journey together too. Yeah. So yeah, it really does complete it for him. You know, completes it for him. But does it like? Does it bother? Does the age gap bother you? Does that matter? Not really. I think I think because of this, the dreamlike state and you know surrealism of the whole movie, it, it all works. Especially the way she presents herself as an energetic woman. That just the way she is. It's mm-hmm. just age doesn't really matter. I think. Oh yeah, for to, to a free spirit like like Maud. No. Yeah, and because it, it, it's not like she's preying on a younger person who was just sort of ignorant of these things or, you know, there's no, that, that was not really a goal. There's no goal for mm-hmm. that to specifically happen. It's just something that happened because of how the relationship changed over really it's, it's less than a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I, I didn't realize until she had her birthday that, Oh geez, all this happened in a week. Yeah. Cause she tells you in the, when we meet her, when her birthday's birthday yeah. is. So it's just, uh, like oh wow how he's so profoundly changed, and but like this is you know this is a this is a version of you know meeting a stranger on an airplane and and showing your true self to them for just a minute for just that yeah. plane ride, and uh, this was obviously a lot more complicated but it's on that same plane like that same thing of who you who you are and who you present yourself to be, and Maude is a woman that is one hundred percent herself all the mm-hmm. time. You know, she oh, has a dark. You know, she has a dark past. She's yes. a Holocaust survivor. Right. She has a husband who, which is only gone. really like hinted at. Yeah, you see markings on her arm very briefly. Yeah, and she alludes she alludes to when her husband died. Yeah, and she tears up for a moment and just moves on because, you know, she she relived that memory for a minute, but that's not where she chooses to spend her time. Well, you can imagine that she may not have always been this way. Right, you know, well, this after that such a devastating experience, to say the least. Yeah, that maybe after that is what you know where she, you know, she changed her view of life and her whole mentality. Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, in in reality, she probably would be a difficult person to have a relationship with. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, being spontaneous is not is putting it mildly. You yeah. know. Yeah. That she would, she steals cars and she paints, you know, in the, in the church, she had apparently had just painted one of the saints over. Oh, right, right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she, she lives very carefree and it's not really in defiance of the establishment. It's really just, this is how, this is how everyone should live their lives. This, I'm going to live my, my life this way. And it offers such a great comedy. It's so funny. Because because it's not a defi- an act of defiance, and it's just so kind of sincere that all she, everyone can just sort of just look at her, and you, it's almost like there should just be like hand drawn question marks over their heads, like what's happening? Like who's this lady? Like there's nothing like harmful about her even stealing cars yeah. and and just being reckless. It's I love that shot where where she steals the cars the uh, the car right in front of the cops. <laughs> yeah. And they do the way they just kind of the main guy the main <laughs> cop just kind of looks at her. Yeah. It's like, a great expression. But the, this, there's so much so much whimsy and and comedy to it. And the, yeah, and the, all the car stunt every time she's behind the wheel the car is roaring. Oh my god, she's and, a maniac. <laughs> so 
and it's hilarious there's just something funny about all of that yeah because she doesn't she drives recklessly but she doesn't put anyone in danger like it's not like just herself probably cars <laughs> the cars aren't veering out of the veering out of the way or people aren't yeah. jumping out of the way so again it's like the it's the sincerity of her that makes it funny and so it's a lot of a lot of fun stuff there. yeah well, the the age gap was uh, was still considered shocking at the time. Yeah, that's pretty taboo back then. I, I yeah, I mean, overall, at in 1971, the movie going audience uh, was still made up of some of the old school viewers. A little puritanical. Yeah, I mean, their ways. Nixon had just gotten reelected. This is just before yeah. he got himself into. Uh, too much trouble, yeah. or at least that it became public. So there was still, um, you know, a fairly right-wing audience out there that would never take to a movie like this. Right. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. The never take to, like, this is a very liberal kind of film. It's pretty hippy-dippy in, yeah, its, oh, yeah, in yeah. its philosophies. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and it works great in that respect, but yeah. for people who don't agree with that mentality, like, they're not going to not going to take to it. So there was there were people had problems with the with the age gap even though he's not a minor. Right. Uh was still not kindly looked upon. It still I think can be a bit shocking if you're not ready for it sure. uh in today's you know today's era but but I think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just people being themselves and forgetting like what's on the outside and and you know, like these two people's spirits matched and it doesn't matter that one is 20 and one's almost 80. Right. That, you know, if they're, they're in love with each other, they're in love with each other. Yeah. That's a, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be great if everything was like that. Right. No, it's just that that's not how it works, but love and love comes in so many different forms that mm-hmm. it's, you know, they were, they were fast friends and, and shared intimate details and, and, ha- and then had a physical thing, and then he was just ready to spend the rest of his life with her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's just, she just says, you know, you love once, love more. Just yeah. keep loving. Like, yeah. It doesn't have to be just for one person or one thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's, it's about being true to yourself mm-hmm. and being, you know, feeling free to be who you are and not be judged for that. Right, you know, yeah. and this this is a uh, the world can be a tough place, mm-hmm. and it's and it's uh, there are, are very judgmental people out there, and this is just kind of a counter to that. That yeah. you know, screw that, don't worry about them, mm-hmm. just be you and do what you got to do for yourself. Yeah, well, everyone, as she says in the movie, everyone has a right to make an ass of themselves. Yeah, you know, um, and again, like yeah, there is so like I said, there's such a minor or n- almost negligible like def- act of defiance it's really it starts with her you know yeah. the rest of the world should sort of reorient to her instead of her being her acting as a reaction to the rest of the world it doesn't seem like she is she i mean obviously she probably knows the world around her but mm-hmm. it's just it's inconsequential yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter what the rules are you know, she's not hurting anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, she's living her life. And she and she meets a guy, a young man who's so weighed 
down by what his life is supposed to be, whatever that is, the life, the life of means with his mother and what, whatever his next role is supposed to be. Right. Nothing that he's choosing. It's all that's laid yeah. out for him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a burden in itself, no matter how easily you can sort of get by in society with whatever wealth you have or whatever. Yeah. Um, that doesn't solve your problems. Um, and it doesn't give you any direction if, if you don't, if you don't have one. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Especially, yeah. If it's all laid out by someone else, what do you do? Yeah. So she's the perfect person for him. Uh, for, for the, for exactly the, the, the perfect couple. They yeah. really are. Yeah. If she met him later in his life or, you know, if she was the same age or if you're younger, it probably wouldn't work. You know, yeah. you can't really convince a teenager to sort of, you know, change, you know, you can no, you've got to be at the right, uh, in the right mindset to hear what she's saying. Yeah. Yeah. It changes. She'd be to be susceptible to that thinking, you know, he's had a f- at least a few more years of experience than mm-hmm. a teen, you know, things are, yeah. things are still not set, you know, but if he was like 25 ish, you know, mid twenties, little bit older he might be a little more steadfast mm-hmm. and not be willing to listen yeah i don't know just the right just the right age yeah just gotta find them boys at the right age <laughs> uh, yeah i uh i really like how this is uh a se- this is different than a lot of the other 70s films and that there's no the 70s there's no like government conspiracy or you know, menace, kind of threatening menace out there. It's not, it's not an us versus them kind of mentality. Yeah, no, no, no oppressiveness. Yeah, no oppressive force. Yeah, it's just kind of a spiritual film, really. True, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> this is a good choice. Well, it's it was time to do something different. I I gotta say, yeah. Uh, we'll have we'll get back to some of our '80s action movies and whatnot soon, yeah, but something with a giant gun in it <laughs> that kills a lot of things and muscles, muscles and guns. Um, I also, you know, one of the things I just wanted to say real quick Please. before we move on, I like how uh, all the authority figures are kind of buffoons almost, mm-hmm. or you know, not to be taken seriously. Yeah, between, like his, so his uncle, his mother, his uncle, who's just hilarious with his Nathan Hale. You know, <laughs> yeah. every soldier should be like Nathan Hale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and he rigged his his cuff uh, of his jacket because he has one arm <laughs> to yeah. salute. I mean, <laughs> with just the that, string, vi- yeah. that visual gag, and maybe that's a real thing. I don't know, but damn, that was hilarious. And it's it was funny, like as Harold just kind of let him get wound up, mm-hmm. he just goes nuts. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, to uh, Tom Skerritt as the you know kind of incompetent motorcycle cop who can't catch an old lady. Yeah. Uh, to the priest, mm-hmm. to his psychiatrist, mm-hmm. who another little little piece that I love is, did you catch that they're in the exact same wardrobe? Yeah, it took me a minute when we were watching every the, time the two shot of them uh, the first time, and I'm like, oh, that's the same. And then yeah, it continued. That's that's <laughs> hilarious. What a great bit. And uh, and just as the film goes on, and as he kind of opens up and finds himself more, his makeup changes. He doesn't have that ghostly pale look anymore. Yeah, he's got you know more of what his normal face would be. He's co- you know he's coming to life. Yeah, he's blossoming. If oh, you will. like a like a daisy, like a daisy, or a sunflower, or a sunflower. You know, huh? 
Um, and just little little bits, you know, you catch in the film. But uh, sure, uh, very very special movie. Now, if we were if we talked about Ryan Reynolds already, but is there anybody else? If uh, should we go to our little bit we call reconsider casting? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, so what would that, what does that mean? Who we would be? I would go who we off want. the off the top of my head. If yeah. I were recasting this movie today, yeah, I'd go Lily Tomlin, uh-huh. Maud, and Asa Butterfield mm. from uh, Sex Education and H- Hugo. Right? Hugo was the one. Oh, was he in. Hugo? Yeah, he's the kid in Hugo. Oh, okay. Uh, as Harold. Was he the Ender's Game? No. <laughs> Wait, I didn't that? see that. I don't. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> but uh, maybe, I, yeah. I think I know. He's, yeah, yeah. I think it was him. I see the other one. Yeah. Uh, okay. I go that combo. That's. that's I like a, that Lily. Yeah, Lily Tomlin's kind of yeah. perfect. Uh, I'd actually might go with like a Goldie Hawn. Uh, like, like today. Like I can't Goldie. speak poorly of Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Not I'm, allowed. I mean, she's kind of a, she's kind of that that high energy. Uh, but so, you know, she's probably the perfect age. I think she's, she's a little, she's over 70 now, I think. Never. Well, I mean, Never. she, she's glowing. She looks wonderful. <laughs> um, and then I was thinking the, uh, probably just because it's more just fits the, the look of Bud Court, but, uh, the, the guy, uh, Alex, uh, Lothar from the end of the effing world. Oh yeah. Yeah. So okay. she's sort of a, yeah, I could see that, you know, that, Thin, gone, full of despair. Yeah, kind of, you know, emotionless uh, for for the most of, for the most part. Yeah. Um. So I love the end of the effing world. Apparently, since I mentioned you uh, mentioned it a couple Jess- of times, uh, Jessica. From I thought you would have ca- done some Marvel related casting. You know, like like um, Glenn Close as Maud and uh, Spider Man as, oh, as Tom Harold. Holland. Yeah, Tom Holland. let's get him in there. No, he's too. He's too. Oh, he's too much of a personality. I'd never yeah, buy him. As yeah, he's. Yeah, Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> how did you? Um, being that you just saw it for the first time, uh-huh. how do you feel about the ending? Oh, I was. Uh, I was happy about that ending. I got. I got a little. I kind of got a little distraught for a moment. Did you? Did you see that coming? Did you kind of pick up on? Because she drops that line. You know, she she's dropping hints throughout. Uh, that you'd only really know you see it a couple of times, but the hints of what she's gonna do on her eighty. That yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it totally makes sense and it fit. And it's it, no matter even if she finds finds that new love, she still she doesn't change her plans. Like yeah. She. So no, I was sad about that. You know, but it's kind of devastating, but sweet. Yeah. She knew she, she that was all she could do for him, and. uh and then you know, honestly, I thought I really thought maybe that the movie took a tragic turn at the very end. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh no, like I was so well, upset. And that's, and that's a th- I'm like, this whole thing is pointless. <laughs> that's a theory too. Is you know, how do you interpret that? Yeah. Did he did he do it? Right. And did he kill himself? Mm-hmm. And then that's his free spirit that's playing the banjo and going off on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I don't think he actually did it. I think that was his last, his last fake suicide. Yeah. You know, like and, he, then, and he really is a free spirit in life now. Yeah. And embodying every, like, like it's finally, he's gone all the way with it, but he's embodying what she taught him. 
Yeah, his perspective is totally shifted. So in terms of where the joy of life, where life can be celebrated with mm-hmm. joy and all of that, and he can play his banjo and wear a, like a really cool shirt. Yeah. And just walk in the breeze. Um, that's a nice place to start. Yeah. I think I think that's it. I mean, I I I'm sure you can interpret that it's sort of a ghostly thing or whatever, but it doesn't really fit. All no, of the, yeah. all of the suicides are fake. Yeah. You know, and he knows he's sort of a magician about it. Yeah. And uh and I, you know, I prefer that ending anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I mean, I think that that is the ending. It's just I Yeah. There are other theories. Yeah, you want to talk but, about that. Yeah. Um but uh well, but you, go ahead. If we're talking casting though, should we maybe we take one more look uh, about who's in this movie? Uh, you know, why don't you come join me over in the corner? Uh, all right, let me just let move that chair out of the way. Here we go. Oh, my uh, my cord won't reach. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. All right. All right. I'm good. Uh, so let's just do it quickly, real quick. Yeah. Uh, John is Kurt Russell in this movie? Um, one scene. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. No, no. Uh, well, since he's not in this movie, who's got the best hair? That's a tough question. I'm going to say uh, Harold's mother. Oh, she does have good yeah. hair. Every scene she in, she's in, she has very yeah. well done hair. Well done, well protected hair. Um, and then, so, do you think 1970 Kurt could be in this movie? Oh, my God. Yeah, except he might be a little young, but we'll go with it. Uh, I looked him up. He was actually sixteen. Uh, no, seven. he was born in fifty-one, so he'd be oh he, he'd be oh, nine, prime nineteen to film it. Twenty years yeah. old when it comes out, so he'd actually play he like had what sweet we think. Young face, so he looked uh, probably yeah. Younger, but yeah, he was our you definitely. Know, he was the computer who wore tennis shoes just two years prior. Oh yeah, forget it. You know, and he, he's in. And in seventy-one, he was in the Barefoot Executive. Mm-hmm. So this. He would have acted the hell out of So if it was Herald. a young Kurt Russell and, like you said, an older Goldie Hawn, again, <laughs> match made in heaven. Yeah. Oh, imagine. Whatever. Oh, in the, well, anything's possible in the Modiverse. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a reality where that's happening. <laughs> We're going to, that's hashtag Modiverse. <laughs> modiverse. Uh, and then finally, can you get me uh, through as many degrees as you can from, say, Kurt Russell to Bud Court? Uh, yes. You can do uh, this. I got it. Already. I got it. No, you don't. I do have it. Okay. Bud Court to Donald Sutherland, MASH. Mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland was in a little movie called Backdraft. The Backdraft. It's called The Backdraft, right? Uh, the yeah 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 <laughs> all the all those one title movies are actually then yeah. when we make the second one we just call it back backtrack exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's how you make the inevitable yeah. sequel reboot all you need is the the <laughs> in the, and out and you're good <laughs> all my movies now are going to start with the Pred- I, it's not predator first, it's the predator it's the predator come on <laughs> uh, well done I mean I, as far as my internet research is concerned that's the quickest way it's, yeah it's always two degrees. Kurt Russell and Bud Court were never in the same movie together. No, and we'll you know we'll talk about Bud Court in just a minute. But should we also, oh. you know, this is normally where we talk about box office. Oh well, should we should head over to the or, the box or, office corner. Let's yeah. go over to the box office corner. <laughs> <Boy>. <laughs> so many corners. <laughs> many corners to be shuffling over to the bo. 
there's not a lot of uh, it's some of these older movies. It's hard to find, you know, yeah. hard and fast uh, box office yeah. evidence. This wasn't a lot of public info, yeah. you know, what they spent on films and how much they made, unless it was like a big deal, and then like the Times report on it, you yeah. know, or something like that. Um, but I know it was a budget of 1.2 million. What? I know it was uh, not that successful. It was considered a failure when it came considered out. Considered a bomb. So no one went to see this. Thing. Yeah. It came out just before Christmas, December 20th, 1971. So about a year before The Godfather. Right. Just to make that a marker. Okay, sure. Uh, it didn't actually make a profit supposedly until like 1983, according to the New York Times. New York Times. Um, it gained, well, and look what it got released between. It came out during <laughs> the week prior was Diamonds Are Forever. Uh-huh. The week after that was Dirty Harry. Oh boy! So <laughs> two oh, very <laughs> well, Dirty Harry. I mean, Dirty Harry is an interesting movie, but again, yeah. a very like right wing, yeah, movie all the way. Mm-hmm. Kind of a polar opposite of Harold and Maude. Oh yeah. So Dirty Harry won that. Yes, I imagine. <laughs> it did get nominated for two Golden Globes, uh, one for Bud Court, one for Ruth Gordon. Oh. Um, and they should have won. Okay, let's just yeah. call it Give call them, it like we see it. They should have nailed it. Um, the reviews were not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the big reviewers didn't really like the film. Roger Ebert, Vincent Camby, uh, they they just in reading their reviews now, mm-hmm. it just seems like they just didn't get it. Yeah, and that's just called the part of the cultural times. Yeah, and, you know how they. Where they were in their lives and all of that. I think. If this movie came out, and I think like either a few years before this mm-hmm. or a few years after this, I think it would have had a different reaction. Mm. But it was just this particular period. Uh, Country was going through some stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, the summer of love was over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like Peter Fonda in the movie The Limey, when they talk about the '60s, and he's like, "The '60s were only '66 and '67. That was that was it." <laughs> when you think about yeah. the '60s, like that's the zone it happened <laughs> yeah, in. It's but, like 18 months. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it wasn't until later on when it got re-released in 1979 is when it started to gain some traction, and I think people were ready. The younger audience mm-hmm. had taken over. You know, as as viewers for the most part by that point, yeah, and really kind of latched onto it, and and uh, you know, its legacy goes on because uh, of people who were you know younger audience then was now film big filmmakers now, right? And you can see it all over, like Wes Anderson especially. Oh yeah, has Hal Ashby imprints all over his movies but re- like specifically Harold and Maude mm-hmm. um, so does uh, so does P.T. Anderson unrelated oh, sure. they're not related to each no, other no they're not but, but they've got like you know ca- <clears throat> excuse me innocent characters who are in ki- like surrounded by like a cruel world yeah and you know who are influenced by or they influence other other people um, and that's that's all over their work mm-hmm and you could, you know, you could really credit it back to Hal Ashby, who had an own his own kind of up and down career. Mm-hmm. Some of the, you know, best films of the '70s were his. Uh, 
last detail, shampoo, bound for glory, coming home, and then ending it with being there in 1979, those are all like home runs. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he, you know, got into, he had some personal problems. He got into drugs. Uh, he was working under a deal with Lorimar, if anyone remembers that company. Yeah. That went south and they kind of pushed him out of the projects that he was making and held him back from doing other movies so that he would be in post and, uh, and, and on another film and, and uh, you know, blamed cocaine. He had a big cocaine habit that just got worse and worse and worse. Uh, gee. And uh, he, you know, got sick and passed away in 1988. And mm-hmm. his work is largely... I, it feels like it's largely ignored now. Those mm-hmm. those mo- like when people refer to movies of the seventies, it's like they go after the Scorsese and the Coppola stuff, and and you know American Graffiti and and some of Spielberg's things and the bigger things. And and Hal Ashby's work, I feel like is kind of forgotten now. When I talk to you know the kids, the kids that I mentor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The kids you mentor and they, talk none only of them have talk ex- seen none of them have seen the the Hal Ashby movies. None and of those them. Those are some of the most genuine, sweet, wow, deep films of that of that time those, period. Those kids need some. They need a uh, some teaching. They need this yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's what they you need. You gotta teach them. I believe there was a, a documentary about Hal Ashby that came out last yeah, year. Yeah, last year. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So I bet you you'd be all over that. I cannot wait to see that. You're not in that documentary. Though. I. Do you remember doing any interviews? We had a uh, contractual dispute, so I got cut out. You got cut out. Yeah. All right. You wanted too many. I did points. an eight-hour interview for that, <laughs> and it was just you. And that was just you pointing a camera at yourself in your living room, and you sent them all that. And footage. I sent them the foot <laughs> with a contract that I read marked. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it and then read <laughs> Just and you just said sign this. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, so Bud Court, you know, Bud Court is not, uh, again, this was the height of his career. Oh, wow. He yeah. you know, did a few other films, nothing that really had any traction. And in 1979, got in a very bad car accident, which really derailed his career. Oh. Uh, I didn't see him again till I think it was Dogma, one of the Kevin Smith movies. Oh. Yeah, it was Do- Dogma, I think, that Dogma. he's got a... Very small part in, and he's in Heat. Oh, he's Dennis Haysbert's. Did you see Heat? Yeah, he's Dennis Haysbert's boss at the restaurant. Like, you know, when he like Dennis Haysbert like pushes him Uh and then like quits and goes off to do the job with De Niro. Uh That's Bud Court. That's Bud Court. Yeah. Oh, hilarious! I didn't. And he, you know, he's he had a great you know return on Arrested Development. There's. uh, Oh really? Yeah. Oh. What are you doing on Arrested Development? It's called, it was a little, it was a uh, segment that they had called Bud's Court. Uh-huh. Oh, really? Yeah. I missed that. You've got to rewatch that. Was that in the newer seasons? I don't remember which season it was. Oh, wow. All right. Anyway. Sorry. So, I'm yeah. kind of like, I'm like uh, okay, sure. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> but he's also in the, he's in Life Aquatic, right? Yes, Life Aquatic is the other one. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Wes Anderson. All full circle. Full circle. How about that? Yeah. Huh. Proof. 
uh, Ruth Gordon, you know, very successful rest of her career. She did do more TV stuff, and she did a good a good episode of Columbo mm-hmm. that I remember. I think she's in my favorite episode of Alf. Well, they're all your favorite. Well, that's true. <laughs> she was the main character. She played Alf. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> she... <laughs> she wasn't in Alf. Don't worry about it. Uh, she was. Uh, she hosted an episode of Saturday Night Live in the in the late seventies. Yeah, she did. Oh wow! And uh, did she kill it? Did she crush? She's great. Yeah, she crushed. She's, yeah, she knew what she was doing. This woman knows. Uh, she passed away in I believe nineteen eighty five. So that was when we lost the great Ruth Gordon. Yeah. Um, Colin Higgins went on to become a more successful director. He did uh, Foul Play, which was a hit. Oh, yeah. And Nine to Five, which was a big hit. Nine to Five. Yeah. yeah. And some, some other movies, but he eventually found his way. So I like uh, Good for Nine him. to Five. You all right? Uh, he also kind of he was trying to develop a prequel and a sequel. Now, not in. Humba? Like, not in today's view of making prequels and sequels, but he, he was going after this in the late 70s. Mm hmm. So the prequel would be oh the other movie he directed was Silver Streak with uh, Richard Pryor. Oh yeah. And what he wanted to do was a prequel to Harold and Maude, with Richard Pryor's character from Silver Streak and Maude. Oh. Gordon. I want to say his name is Gordon, and so his idea was Gordon and Maude. Yeah. Uh, and oh, then a, and Gro- then Grover actually. Grover. Yeah, Grover yeah, and Maude. Sorry. Oh, hilarious. And then the sequel would be, you know, you see what happens to Harold after the movie. And like where Harold, his life went. And then Harold and some other person. Harold and... Harold and James. Joan. Joan. Oh, yeah, it would definitely... Yeah, it'd be a female. <laughs> Harold and Goldie. Harold and Goldie. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, but I'm glad those those didn't happen. I think, uh, I think they didn't happen for a reason. Yeah. Well, luckily, you know, we have endless stories in the Modiverse to tell otherwise. Yeah. But... <laughs> we don't need to see them. <laughs> and uh, the first time I ever really heard about Harold and Maude, other than just seeing the cover in the video store, was from There's Something About Mary. Oh, I haven't seen that movie in years. But that's, that was where, you know, Cameron Diaz and Matt Dillon, they refer to Harold and Maude as the greatest love story ever told. So. Oh, okay. So when I say that, I'm kind of quoting something about Mary. Oh, I see. Yeah. But that was, that was like, oh, yeah, what was... Uh, what was that movie? Okay. And then, oh, interesting. And then I saw it. So what do you think? Does it hold up in 2019? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's such a unique piece as an artifact of its, of the time, you know? I, yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's something to be taken from this for probably for, for more of the sensitive type or anything like someone not looking for, you know there's nothing hard about this movie. There's nothing too, I don't know. It's just a, it's a really sweet film. Yeah. Um, And I think you need something, you need that. And I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think the, the time it was made or anything really factors in. I don't think. No, I don't. It's just a nice story. I mean, it's, yeah. The spirit of the film is timeless, really. Yeah. They may be wearing bell bottoms and, you know, stuff like that, but it's really, um, like you said, it's unique and and I don't think it fits in. It's its own thing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's like it's just some indie movie that really just doesn't really fit any kind of yeah one slot. Action comedy, yeah, yeah, anime, yeah. sure, yeah. Check check those boxes. <laughs> yeah. 
spy film spy you film, got it you, okay <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you like films about outsiders and and fringe yeah like okay. this is gonna be this is gonna be more for you it's a it's a free spirit film yeah 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 without being really it's not being too heavy-handed about the whole thing i think no, it's, it's, it's not a, hokey either no yeah there, yeah there's there's not schmaltz or anything it's it's very aware of itself but also with the genuineness, a sincerity to itself of itself. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that it, it's not, it'd be hard pressed to really make the case. Like this is so hardcore in its message or whatever. Like, even though every, every, again, every line she says is just succinctly written. Like it's perfect screenplay dialogue. Yeah. But man, it just, it just works. Yeah. Like, the whole thing works. I don't know. It's sweet and it's beautiful. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think, yeah, you should give it a rewatch. If give you haven't it seen it in a while, check it out again. And if you haven't seen the other Hal Ashby movies that, that I listed, give them a shot. They're, okay. they're really, they're different. They're really emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really just wonderful films. And I think people need to appreciate that again because right. it's fallen off. Well, you should start the the Hal Ashby uh, Ashby Fest. The Ashby Fest, twenty nineteen. Do it. In fact, let's do it tomorrow. All right, I'll see Ashby you there. Ashby Fest. We'll start with Harold and Maude. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up and get out of here. Let's go. It's, we got to get back to our our lives. On this, do we on this wonderful Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day, yeah. The, I gotta. Your 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 former girlfriend her, is probably waiting that? for you. Oh, my yeah. former girlfriend's waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the chopper. I I sent that message. Uh, fuel it up. Here so we go. here it's on the roof. It's on the roof. Ready. So you get out of here. I'm gonna go into my subterranean <laughs> thing. I go up and then you uh, go. I, gotta, you I go just I climb through the sewers <laughs> to get home. Uh, boy we're a dynamic pair (laughs) but uh yeah so yeah thanks for thanks for listening to us guys really appreciate it and uh, i want to give a big shout out to uh, our friend curtis who does the wonderful artwork for us each and every week yep and our friend ek wimmer for the theme song and don't forget to check out his podcast laser graves it's all things retro all things all things 80s Crazy stuff he's talking about. Oh, yeah. But definitely check that out. A lot of fun stuff there. And, of course, if you can stop by our Facebook page or hit us up on our Twitter or Instagram at Reconsinimation. Love to hear from you. And if you got a second, pop over to iTunes. Just give us a nice little five-star click uh, for a review. It helps uh, keep our voice uh, heard in the, the sea of podcasts. I uh, would appreciate that if you can. But otherwise, thanks for joining in. And we know we're going to see you on our next regular episode. Our right? regularly scheduled episode. And mm. we got a, another fun one, another good one coming next time you might say it's a big surprise (laughs) you said it (laughs) all right we'll see you next time on reconsinimation bye now